0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
1: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg
0: Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. You know, we've got some red and green on this screen here. We've got through some pretty strong earnings. We've got some more retailers to, to hear from. But it looks like the, the retailers are generally in pretty good shape. The consumer's in good shape. Let's get a, a check-in with a professional on all of this stuff, Jordan Khan, He's the CIO of the ACM Funds and a Portfolio Manager of the ACM Dynamic Dividend Fund. And, Jordan, Matt and I were just talking about, you know, we were looking at Visa and the news with Amazon in the U.K. And Visa's down 5.4% on this news that Amazon will stop ac- accepting the Visa card, in, I guess, uh, in the U.K. in January what did you make for of now? This, right for for now, and yeah.
1: and I mean, Mastercard is down as well. Yep. You know, could this could spread? The idea is that uh, Amazon and other retailers sure. could do this to all the payment payment networks. How do you think about that, Jordan?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Visa is a stock that we've owned for years. It's a, you know, great company, great management. I think that to your point, that's the the market's big concern, you know, with the early reaction in Visa and the stock being down as much as we're seeing today. I think the concern is does this open some sort of Pandora's box and if Amazon is is challenging them first in the UK, you know, does it kind of seep into other other markets and are there going to be other large retailers that try to puff up their chest and and, and challenge them as well but like I said you know Visa has excellent management it's been a, a well-managed company for years and years and years and so I, I think you know at, at the end of the day when the dust settles management will probably figure out a way to come to terms with 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 Amazon and if there are other retailers well, um, you know and we'll see this story probably fall by the wayside. well side. you
1: can still use the debit card and right um, I mean, I'm sure that all of these companies, surely Visa's at the forefront of looking at some kind of crypto blockchain way to make payments fast, easy, and cheap.
2: Yeah, they've always done a good job on their acquisitions. And so whether it's, you know, to your point, something in crypto, whether they're going to do something with the buy now, pay later, which is, you know, a big, big trend recently, um, you know, I, I'm That's just a credit that, card, you know, right?
1: I see these buy now, pay later things, and I mean, that's just... The same thing, isn't it?
2: It basically is. It's, it's the new iteration of it. You know, somehow they figure out other ways to make money rather than just charging the interest on it.
0: All right. So, Jordan, as a Visa shareholder, how do you think about that big just changing financial landscape, whether it's just more technology coming into the, the business? I know since the pandemic, I'm doing a lot more of my personal finance via apps and so on and so forth. How do the Visas, the MasterCards, how do you think about that holistically? How do they adapt?
2: Well, I think there's two things, you know. The the one thing is, to your point, that that if things are going, you know, crypto and digitally and stuff like that, that's a new trend that they may, you know, dip their toe in the water, whether it's via acquisitions or something like that. But the other big trend that's going on globally that Visa has been in the forefront of for years is the trend just away from cash and more towards digital, right, as more and more of our lives move to digital and become online, you know, last year with the pandemic, we obviously saw a huge surge of transactions moving online. And so those big global trends are still a tailwind for companies like Visa and MasterCard.
1: I got this Apple Watch for my birthday. And
0: I'm not even sure it tells time, folks. I'm looking at it now, it and it a lot me of stuff. It tells
1: me not just time, but my heart rate, blood oxygen levels, it does an echocardiogram, etc. I've been yeah, averaging. It have
2: like, been sitting down for too long. Exactly, it <laughs> tells
1: me to stand up. I've been doing like 10,000, 15,000 steps a day. But the thing is, um, the most fun thing to do with this is to make payments. Like, I'm taking the Subway more often, because I just tap my ah, wrist yeah, on the cool. thing, yep. and I wow. go in, or when I go to Target, and I pick up a 12-pack of Pops, I just <laughs> knock this on the payment thing, and I feel just like, like the kids. I, I feel like you got to yeah. check it out. Do you like any of that's these cool. fintech? I mean, we talk about uh, Visa being good at acquisitions, Jordan. What do you think about these? Um, not Apple, obviously, because that's a uh, two and a half billion, trillion dollar behemoth that we all know about, but do you look at any of these younger, yeah. growthier businesses?
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, Visa's obviously one that I've mentioned that we've owned for years, you know, we, we like PayPal. That's a stock that's come down a lot. That uh, you know is, is at the forefront of a lot of these trends, and I think that will will continue to do well. Um, you know, we've dipped our toe in something like Affirm. It's obviously had a really, really big run, and I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't chase it here. But but you know, to the point that we were talking about the buy now, pay later, they've kind of been the poster child for moving um, first mover advantage on that front. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff out there. Um, and we definitely we definitely look at them all. Those are just a few that um, we like.
0: Hey, Jordan, uh, Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon uh, said this morning at a Bloomberg uh, conference in Singapore that market greed is now outpacing fear. Do you see that? Feel that? Sense that in the
2: market? That that's funny. You know we've definitely sense it in pockets but i don't think you know people compare this back to like 1999 or the late 90s and stuff and i don't think it's as pervasive as it was it was back then you know there's certain pockets of stocks and you come in and you see these things running 10 and 20% and there's definitely an element of speculation there that you know is kind of running amok that isn't sustainable but there's also tons and tons of cash that's still on the sidelines. You know, in the late 90s, you talk to anybody, and they would say, if you had $3,000 sitting in your checking account, you were an idiot because it could be in the market. You know, that kind of sentiment yep. hasn't worked its way into the market today. Um, so for the people that are in the market playing, there definitely is some element of speculation. But for the general public, I don't think it's one of those right. you know, bubble-like environments where everybody's like, I need to be all in with every penny I have.
0: All right, Jordan, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate that. As always, Jordan Khan. We, we didn't get to talk about weed. We didn't get to talk about weed. And he went to the University of Colorado, Colorado Boulder, Boulder, which is exactly why. <laughs> I'm,
1: that's, I'm, glad, I'm glad you realized why I wanted to And I just him.
0: wrote my last uh, yeah. tuition check to the University of Colorado Boulder. One of the things we're waiting to hear from Fed Chairman Powell is, or from President Biden, is will he keep... Fed Chairman Jay Powell on as a head of the Fed, or maybe bring in somebody new. I know he's interviewed uh, Mr. Uh, Brainerd as well. And I know the market's
1: focusing on I'm just not sure how much of a big deal it is for this market. Let's well, see. everyone we talk to says they have, in terms of monetary policy, there's not much of a difference. Right. It's the regulatory aspect of that that makes... Um, Senator Warren so angry yes. at Jerome Powell, right? Yeah, and consistency. The
0: market certainly likes consistency. But let's ask a professional. Phil Palumbo, founder, CEO, and CIO of Palumbo Wealth Management. He's been doing this wealth management thing for decades at UBS and Morgan Stanley and Mother Merrill. Uh, Phil, you've seen Fed Chairman chair people come and go. How concerned are you about you know what we might hear from President Biden in the next next few days about? fed chairman powell or someone new
3: the concern more is about inflation so whether in my view what powell stays in there or brainerd comes in there and the open seats that have become available over the next couple of months either way i believe both are dovish and a dovish fed governor as we have right now with with powell even if Brainerd comes in it means inflation can, can, can continue to run hot is most likely they're going to tame rates low. And if that's the case, again, you know, just inflation is going to start to continue to feed on themselves. So I think either way, whether it's Brainerd or whether it's Powell or progressives tend to fill up those seats, you'll see more bank regulation. And I think you see rates lower for longer.
1: I mean, what can they really do about inflation anyway? Other than, you know, if they raise rates, they kind of stunt the economy. And that's not what you want, right?
3: I disagree with that, right? So in terms of Fed Powell and many hedge funds out there, head fund managers out there, you know, they have to act sooner than later, right? So it's like a barbell approach. If you don't do it now, you get hurt later. If you do it now, you get hurt today. But it's almost like if you let this thing continue to run as we're seeing right now, it just feeds on itself. We've seen that in the 70s. I'm not suggesting we're going into the 70s, but inflation can really feed on itself. Look at retail sales numbers yesterday, right? Some consumers are starting to get concerned about inflation and cost. So it's this pull-forward demand that we're seeing that's raising prices, and it doesn't look like it's going away. So if you keep rates where they are, if you keep, continue to be a dovish Fed governor, it only exacerbates the problem. It doesn't make the problem better because eventually inflation gets to the point where it'll cool the consumer because it's a direct tax on the consumer. We know that 70% of spending comes from the consumers in terms of GDP. So if you start to tax them in terms of gas prices, shelter costs, food prices, that's not good for the economy. So it's a are damn if you do and you're damned if you don't, and I totally get it, but I think they have to start taking a hawkish stance. And if Brainerd gets in there and progressives fill those seats, it's just a continuation of this dovish stance, which I believe – can hurt the economy longer term. But
1: Powell's going to be just as dovish, right? So it's not like yes, um, sticking with him is going to do much right. um, to 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 soothe your fears on inflation. What what would uh, what would you like to see?
3: I would like to see them start to taper even sooner than June. Number one, and number two, raise rates, surprise the market. Right. Raise rates in in, uh, at least surprising the
1: market doesn't seem like something the Fed does anymore. That's (laughs) that time. I think,
0: you know, what we've heard from a lot of folks when we think about, you know, rates and maybe just this market in general is what you don't want to see is the Fed surprise the market. That could be something given where we are in valuations that could really be problematic for the market. But, But you're not as concerned about that.
3: No, I am, of course, right? I mean, And I get it, and I've been continuously saying that I believe we're in a bubble, and especially in technology, especially with the cryptocurrency and NFTs and all the speculation. That's because there's been a misallocation of capital as a result of the Federal Reserve and what the federal fiscal policy has done. So now, valuation got to extreme levels, and I get it. It's, uh, listen, it's a damn if you do, damn if you don't scenario, but if you don't do it now, it's going to be even worse later. And that's the big problem that I'm concerned about. The other part, too, is when you think about people talking about inflation being transitory and not in that whole argument, it's more about is demand transitory, right? I think demand may be transitory because it's pull forward effect. And when you have a pull forward effect and you have supplies to start trying to keep up, then you have companies creating more capacity to try to keep up with demand. But if all of a sudden demand slows down, you have all these companies with this extra capacity, extra hiring, extra employees. And that's like a classic recession, like we saw in the seventies, that could happen. So, it's, listen, it's a very challenging situation. I think federal Powell, Fed Powell did a great job with COVID, stepping in, doing what he had to do, and I get it. Um, but now I believe it's time to move faster than he's saying.
1: What do you do with, uh, with client money then, um, Paul? If I, uh, Phil, if I came to you with uh, some fresh cash, where do you put it?
3: Gold. Gold and commodities. So I've been consistently saying, you know, when you have inflation accelerating like we're seeing – so if you go back since 1968, any time inflation has accelerated, gold and commodities have been an outperformer. Gold this year has not been an outperformer because rates have gone up. But since inflation and CPI numbers of recent have been uh, north of 5 6%, the real return now for bonds are negatives. And that's why you are seeing gold start to, to break out here from a technical standpoint. So I think gold could have legs. And, and commodities will can still have can still have legs, so that's why I would position and rebalance into.
0: All right, when I hear that, Phil, I have to ask a question. Given where we are today, when I hear commodities and or gold, how about crypto? Um, is how do you think about that in the context of? Some people say it's a store of value like gold.
3: Crypto doesn't even know who they are. <laughs> you know, in terms of is it an asset class? Is it a currency? And is it inflationary? Is it deflationary? In, in terms of investing when to invest, it's so new. It's, it's compute, complete speculation. So I, I just don't think anybody could really answer that with complete confidence. You know, in my view, I'm concerned about that because what I tell a lot of people who invest in crypto and NFTs, and they made a lot of money, and that's great, and I'm, re- I'm very happy for them. But the question I have for them is, at what point are you going to sell all these profits you made? And they don't have an answer for that. And, and they say, like I was talking to somebody this morning, they said, oh, I bought something, it's at $10, and I was going to sell it at 10 but I think it goes to 20 And it's just like this continuous cycle that people jump on. And in the, but in the end, it's going to eventually collapse, just like markets collapse, right? They don't just go straight up. But if, so if you never sell and it collapses, you made no money. So but you think it's all you-
1: about the great old, greater fool theory. You don't think that there's any value there.
3: I'm not saying there's no value there, right? I'm saying that there. I think it's for real because it's a 3000000000000 trillion-plus market. I don't know if it's going to be Bitcoin in the future or Ethereum or some other cryptocurrency. It's complete speculation. So I think it's for real, but I think it's time for investors to wake up and say, hey, you know, everybody's hopping on this bandwagon. You don't want to follow the herd. Let's take some profits here. And if it comes back down again, we could add to the position, right? right. So same thing with technology. We're, I mean, nobody can dispute that we're in a bubble in, in terms of valuation, yep. but it's time to – take some risk off the table and there's nothing wrong in doing that
0: phil thanks so much for joining us always appreciate getting your thoughts uh phil palumbo founder ceo and cio of palumbo wealth management giving us uh his thoughts on the market and my takeaways matt gold and commodities very interesting and in uh, and but certainly in line with an
1: inflationary outlook <music> All right, let's get over to Katie Greifeld. She is our cross asset reporter here at Bloomberg. And I guess in this case, it goes across from bonds to stocks to crypto. We've seen a big drop in uh, Bitcoin yesterday dropping, um, I guess, the most in September, falling below $60,000, Ether touching its lowest level this month. What's uh, what's behind the drops? What's driving the fall?
4: It's a great question, and sort of the beauty with crypto is that you never really know. (laughs) Uh, Some theories that I heard yesterday, I mean, you did see uh, the infrastructure package signed into law on Monday, and that uh, has tax reporting requirements for broadly defined crypto brokers uh this was a big issue for the industry uh back in september but that that was known so i i wouldn't put a lot of weight in that but it was named the other thing could be technicals which is basically what you say when you're not really sure (laughs) but if you do look at the technicals especially for ether i mean there were a lot of indicators from fibonacci levels to candlesticks all those fancy things that basically all told you the same thing that you know this rally was looking particularly stretched particularly when it came to ether i mean let's not forget that ether it's up what almost 500 percent this year so it's probably not surprising to see that cool a little bit
0: you know i think crypto's mainstream when bloomberg radio has a weekly sponsored crypto (laughs) report but i'm still surprised katie that a lot of the veterans on wall street the ceos whether it's a jamie diamond it just doesn't feel like they have fully embraced this asset class at all they'll say oh we're providing some trading facilities for our clients if they want to trade in crypto we'll be there but it doesn't feel like they've really
1: embraced it is that I mean, diamond says it's worthless, worthless. So I guess he hasn't embraced it quite yet. (laughs) No,
0: exactly. But you know, I do see stories that they're staffing up their trading operations Mm -hmm. and things across the street. But again, as Matt was saying, it doesn't feel like it's been embraced as a real asset class.
4: Yeah, well, to your point, I mean, the tone from the top, but a lot of these banks is very negative. I mean, we could run through that. But still, they're kind of, these banks are trying, are basically have to hold their nose and offer these services because the client demand is there. I mean, you can see that down to the level of ETFs. But it was interesting that you also uh, heard the UBS chairman uh, basically warn about you know, the staying power of crypto. So still a lot of skepticism. But I think the clearest indication that this is, you know, turning more mainstream is just how worried the SEC is about it. And it's not just the SEC, it's the Treasury, it's the Fed as well, particularly when it comes to stable coins. So I think that's a pretty strong sign. It's big enough to worry about.
0: And we're starting to see Gary Gensler. I mean, he -hmm. understands this stuff. The new chairman of the sec taught a course i guess at mit and on- yet
1: he and yet they allowed a crypto etf a crypto futures, futures ETF, yeah. and not an underlying i i still don't understand why they made that decision yeah. was it pressure from wall street because they needed to deal in some kind of product if you're going to allow futures why not allow the underlying i don't understand
4: it all comes back to control i mean we know that uh, Gensler in particular, he doesn't, uh, or he wants more control over the crypto exchanges. And so the logic there in letting the futures ETF launch is that those options, they trade on the CME. That's that's regulated. Whereas, you know, just physical Bitcoin, they don't really have any control over that. And of course, now we're doing all these gymnastics and that's trying kind to of fig- the point. I know. kind the point. I know, right? But I mean, now you're in the situation where these- funds have to pay. Roll costs, they don't perfectly track the price of Bitcoin. Um, So we're in a situation where, is this really the best for investors? A lot of people would tell you no, that if you truly want Bitcoin exposure, you should just Buy Bitcoin. If exactly.
1: If you want Bitcoin exposure, why would you wait around for an ETF? Who cares? I mean, if just you have buy Bitcoin. Go on Cornba- Coinbase and get it.
4: Coinbase. I would like to go there. Coinbase is a different. That's an Ohio <laughs> yeah. thing. But if you have mandates that prevent you from buying actual physical Bitcoin or trading Bitcoin derivatives, this does make sense for you. But. I mean, we did see huge demand for the first of these products to launch about a month ago, but it's really, really dropped. Do you know what caught my
1: eye? uh, And I talked about those with Paul already, Katie. When we see Amazon start to kick off payment um, companies like uh, Visa, for example, this is the beginning of that. And Mm -hmm. eventually some blockchain technology is going to replace that. Amazon is going to say from now on, eventually we're going to accept so-and-so crypto coin maybe not bitcoin or Mm -hmm. ether maybe not binance or Mm -hmm. doge but it's going to be something because they don't want to pay two percent three percent four percent to visa mastercard or amex
4: that is when it truly becomes mainstream, I would argue, and maybe to your point, it's not any of the existing coins. Maybe it's the digital dollar. You know, we mm. know that the Fed. Maybe is Amazon at creates that. its own. The Amazon coin. You know, <laughs> it could it could happen. How can they not have done that already? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, someone from Amazon is listening. But I'm
1: sure they
0: have. We will
4: see. We are seeing a, a tiny uptick in uh, you know actual businesses accepting crypto as payment, but for now, it does just seem to be a vehicle of speculation at this point
0: and trading as well katie greifel thank you so much for joining us katie's cross asset reporter and bloomberg quick take co-anchor joining us here in a bloomberg interactive broker studio uh giving us our weekly crypto report how cool is that Matt? we're talking crypto we talk about it every day
1: (laughs) it's so funny she goes from uh the treasury auctions which are you know old and conservative and so easy to put your finger on to this crypto (laughs) which knows what it is so that's cross asset katie thank you very much
0: All right. Talking about these markets, Matt, and a lot of folks will say, boy, they frothy. Look no further than some of these recent IPOs, maybe the electric vehicle IPOs, Lucid, Rivian, things like that, not to mention the daily fluctuations of Tesla as a clear example of, man, this market is really frothy. Let's check in with somebody who's done this for a time or two. Louis Navier, founder, chairman, CIO, and chief compliance officer of Navier & Associates. Louis, thanks so much for joining us here. When you see a Lucid, when you see a Rivian and the big pops they have and the huge valuations that they demand in this marketplace, what
1: does that tell you? By, I don't, by the way, Louie, don't we just do Navalier? Isn't that – Navalier?
5: That's great. Na, Na, Navalier is how we say it in America. Navigate is how we say it in Montreal. Yeah, okay? see, that's how I, oh, I roll. Okay, see. okay. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, yeah, we have a Bubbles. Uh, That have to be pricked. And um, obviously, there's a lot of Tesla people. There's a lot of ESG investors that are all excited about Rivian and um, Lucid, as they should be, because the vehicles are getting rave reviews. But um, uh, we've had too much too fast. And uh, obviously, the venture capitalists and the insiders will be cashing out as their stock becomes unrestricted. So, you know it's it's kind of like QuantumScape was a very exciting stock and then they unrestricted a bunch of stock and it collapsed so that's what's going to happen here
1: i feel you on this having said that i sure wish i bought tesla 10 years ago yep and the by car, the way the there's no the reason stock. that i can <laughs> still i still can't understand the valuation uh, i don't know why tesla is a trillion dollar company even if they sell a million cars a year which they don't Um, it doesn't make any sense to me. And nonetheless, that stock is a huge winner.
5: Well, Tesla did something very unique, okay? Last year, if you went onto YouTube, there was all these Tesla fanatics pumping the stock, but they were also getting paid to pump the stock. They would Mm -hmm. get free Powerwalls, free Model 3s, and they uh, gave away over 80 of those uh, quarter-million-dollar Roadsters for referral credits. Tesla stopped that at the end of last year. So now when you go into YouTube, what's happening is uh, those Tesla fanatics are now sponsored by Volkswagen Group, like E for Electric or other um, – some of the Chinese uh, EV companies. So Tesla kind of lost a lot of its cheerleaders when it stopped paying for the favorable um, press.
0: All right, Louis. let's keep on this, this, the EV discussion here, because we just got finished with COP26 over in Glasgow, talking about phasing out fossil fuels. Phasing down. Uh, f- yeah, phasing down, I guess. Not uh, phasing out. Phasing down. That, that's the problem, right? They
1: Yes. Nobody's willing to phase yeah. it out. They'll phase, phase it down. <laughs> down.
0: Exactly. So how do you think about that, Louis? as you think about your investing? Is this something that's in your strategy?
5: Well, fortunately, I'm from Berkeley, California, originally. And uh, I can tell you that what they did is totally delusional. You know, Berkeley is anti-natural gas. You cannot put natural gas in a new home in California. You can't even get a natural gas generator unless you're a commercial business of some sort. Um, So you have to do walls, uh, which helps in phase energy and generac. But uh, the war against natural gas is stupid. We will still need natural gas in 2035. And the fact that the U.S. pledged to end all fossil fuels for electricity generation is just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And uh, one of the things that's most annoying is when they did the federal drilling ban, which, of course, was overridden uh, by a federal judge, but they're still hostile to drilling on federal land. We're just pumping out methane and uh, and in the atmosphere because the wells were abandoned. Okay. Now, the big energy companies cap them, but the small producers don't. And so, one of the plans in Build Back Better America is we got to cap the wells that wouldn't be leaking if we didn't uh, ban the drilling on federal land. And most of that's in New Mexico on the Permian Basin.
0: So, what what do you guys what do you guys do at Navalier in terms of energy?
5: Well, we we do like a lot of the midstream uh, uh, folks, and um, uh, you know. I, Energy is a cyclical business. Uh, it doesn't normally go up this time of year, but Europe got caught flat-footed, and of course, you know Germany's delay of the uh, Russian pipeline uh, this week. And everything soaring. You know, uh, Europe's burning record coal right now, and so they're a little bit hypocritical too. So, the thing that annoys me the most—sorry um, to be so passionate about this—is that that Russian natural gas is five times dirtier than our natural gas. You know, we clean our natural gas. OK, so, um, you know, there's a lot of there were a lot of hypocrites in Scotland. And I have one of my uh, associates there and it was it was interesting to get the reports from the field.
1: Never apologize for your passion, Louie. But I'm sure that making money is probably uh, up there in terms of the uh, things that you feel strongly about. So what do you do right now as we've run up so far so fast? And, you know, David Solomon um, from Goldman Sachs just told our Francine Lacroix that he thinks greed has overtaken fear in this market. Um, How do you feel about the S&P 500 at 4700?
5: All the major indices are overbought, but we're going to stay overbought because November is such a seasonally strong month. This is the week to consolidate. Monday and Tuesday should be up. I don't care about the holiday trading next Wednesday and Friday, um, but November is a seasonally strong month. December seasonally strong. It we'll, won't we'll be quite as good as November, and then January will be great because we get a surge of volume new pension funding. So the most likely time for a correction is going to be uh, some time in February, but we're going to stay overbought till then. Uh, but the small caps have done this month is just nuts. You know, you know, Citadel runs the markets nowadays and Citadel cannot handle order imbalances. So, you know, Reddit and Robinhood proved that, uh, how to squeeze, squeeze the algorithms. Um, you know, I'm I'm very familiar with this because I got a lot of subscribers and when I recommend things, things are popping too. And uh, even, you know, $20 billion size companies. So I'm uh, the algos cannot handle volume anymore, so as long as we have these order imbalances and this euphoria, uh, we're going to stay overbought, And uh, but I, obviously you have to correct once a year, so February is the most likely time. Yeah,
0: it's been a while since this market has had a correction, and that is also a cause for a lot of folks saying, boy, it's time we get one soon. And Louis Navalier, founder, chairman, CIO, and chief compliance officer at Navalier & Associates, joining us here Uh Looking for more overbought uh, in this equity markets, perhaps a correction uh, coming in February was my takeaway there. We have uh, mixed markets today.
1: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at matt miller1973.